the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. If the Ever Givens parking prang in the Suez Canal last year was the artery blockage that gave capitalism a minor heart attack, then the ensuing diagnosis and treatment from governments has been focused on all that ails global trade. I know it's still only January and this is the first Lloyd's List podcast in a while, but I'm putting in an early entry for buzzword terminology of the year. Supply chain resilience is going to be the phrase of 2022, mark my words. The pandemic has forced a fundamental shift in global trade policies as governments increasingly focus on supply chain resilience. And while the limited options to unwind the past 40 years of globalised trade are likely to produce more rhetoric than action, the industry should brace for the fact that supply chain scrutiny is going to be taking up a lot of everyone's time. It's a pretty nebulous topic with many angles, so we're going to be coming back to this as a theme over several podcasts in the coming months. But I wanted to start by taking a look at how long it's going to take to unwind the current supply chain crunch. We, of course, know the story. A perfect storm of global issues have combined to break the just-in-time supply chains that keep the world going. But what is the prevailing wisdom in terms of the tipping points that we should be looking out for here? And is there such a thing as a return to normal on the horizon? I started by asking Zanita's chief analyst, Peter Sand, how long he saw the current crunch lasting. It will certainly stretch out beyond this year, Richard. And and I think it's fair to say also that it may be two years in the making now, perhaps with a little bit of, uh, say, the first half years, the first half uh, part of 2020 being uh, fairly dull in the sense that uh, carriers uh, blank sailings left, right and center. And and, and none of us knew how to spend money on uh, on e-commerce, online shopping. Uh, But but, but we surely learned that uh, rapidly uh, towards the end of 2020 and the whole of 2020. As well, so if we were just to to play a little mind game now and think, okay, can it possibly get any worse? The short reply to that is obviously yes, it can. But if we if we agree that okay, it might not get that much worse, then how long will it take to unwind the current lock jams that we see on a global scale? Well, in short, at least as long as it has taken. Uh, getting to getting to this point uh, perhaps a little bit uh, shorter so uh, so you should at least brace for uh, for uh, say more of the same in 2022 and, uh, and and hope for the better in 2023 because it's it's a totally global thing it's not just one trade one shipper one carrier or one region which is affected it's the whole world so um, brace for a long ride So we know that the bottlenecks in the supply chain continue to cause enormous strains and inefficiencies for everybody in the market. But what are the tipping points that we should be looking out for as we hope to see these inefficiencies unwind? Peter Sand again. That's another we look at where the uh, the melting pot is, and that's North America, that's U.S., and that's uh, that's not necessarily uh, the ports of uh, Long Beach and L.A., which we in in ocean shipping tends to focus so much on. It may be perhaps railway connectivity and the lack of uh, truck drivers uh, going into to the Midwest and Chicago, which is uh, one of the tipping points that we should focus more on. And it brings me back to the point that that. Ocean shipping today is, say, just one part of global logistics. If we talk about end-to-end 
supply chains, it is so much more. I mean, uh, the uh, the easy part, perhaps you could say, is uh, is gate in, gate out. Uh, but uh, but getting cargoes from the production facilities to the port with all the COVID restrictions that at least you see now uh, short term in, in in China most likely impacting uh, uh, the whole say distribution chain and and export chains in China and wider Asia for at least another year and then getting it to its final destination it takes a long time so so get into the wider logistics understand basically all the things which is beyond ocean shipping and then start to see when that begins to unravel uh, of course you may see that the, the number of ships waiting outside san pedro bay or, or uh, en route to to that place is coming down from currently around 100 to perhaps a more normal level around 10, 20 ships, uh, but you should perhaps more be focusing on when they start to to, to get the boxes in and out uh, fast enough on, on the railways and on the trucks. Uh, so uh, so um, get onto the land and, and, and get your, say, your head around how those logistics works before you get, say, focused only on what goes on at the seas. That question of logistics is going to be one that keeps coming up. Because although we intrinsically understand as people in shipping that we are part of an interconnected global supply chain, we still have a fairly siloed approach to shipping and its relation to the onshore logistics sector. That's something that Peter Sand and many others I've spoken to over the last few months think needs to change. I think it's uh, fair to put perspective on uh, on the the knock-on effect from uh, from the onshore logistics to to the offshore logistics, because the main explanatory factor behind the high freight rates have not necessarily been a lack of capacity. It's been a lack of equipment, and it's been uh, say lacking opportunities in in getting the boxes off the ships. Uh, so it's uh, everything but basically what has been happening uh, on on the seas. Uh, so so that of course is also bringing in another aspect here of uh, of uh, of the uh, the, the massive profits that uh, that carriers are making these years and 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 uh, I guess it's it's not only a wake up call to 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 those companies that have that have dipped their toes into the wider supply chains in recent years from a, from a carrier perspective but now they are they are certainly uh, they're not they're going in at full force now. They're really going to uh, to 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 get that turf from uh, from some of the freight forwarders and from some of the other logistics companies. And uh, I think it's fair to say it's gloves off. Uh, they are they are certainly now putting their foot down and 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 showing that we may be the masters of logistics at sea, but now we're also going to conquer the whole uh, say ground. And uh, and I think that will be one of the super interesting things going forward. We see some sort of a, a 12 to 15 month window also where um, where a lot of cash must be spent because it must surely burn in the pockets of the carriers. So uh, so watch out for many more stories on Lloyd's List uh, uh, newspaper, I guess, focusing on, on new acquisitions and, and, and mergers in, in, in that field. And of course, leaves us with the fact, what should trade forwarders do? So nobody is going to be surprised when we see more logistics acquisitions coming from the lines over the coming months. But what does that mean for the industry? And is there going to be a fundamental change in the way that the industry is operating once we get to the end of this series of purchases? 
I think we're definitely at a, at a turning point in many ways. Uh, obviously, we have a, a tons of uh, shipper clients at, at Senator, and many of those are basically uh, looking at two very different products being offered right now. Uh, it's it's centering season basically all year round right now. We're just uh, very much into uh, to that of uh, of forays to Europe, and when they are looking at the offers they are getting from the clients from from the carriers right now. It's a widespread. It's not only say uh, somewhere between seven and ten thousand uh, dollars per per box they offered right now. They are offering also or receiving offers which from one carrier is focused only on ocean, and from another carrier with more strings attached is a lot lower say freight rate for the ocean. But it requires you of course to put the full end to end business with that carrier or at least the uh, say the extended legs of the carrier so all of a sudden you are looking at a, a ocean freight rate from from some liners with the strings attached that is uh, significantly lower than that of the ocean shipping leg only so how do you basically compare those two offers when you're not completely fully aware of okay what kind of say Obligations do I buy into uh, in, in in this uh, in this sense? Uh, how much do I need also to to prepare myself for for engaging with a carrier to a much larger extent than before? And and what will my freight forwarder uh, say about it if I start to uh, all of a sudden sleep with another woman? I'm not so sure that it will be uh, quiet days for for the industry going forward. Do you think there is a return to normal at the end of this, or are we looking at a fundamentally changed industry here? I think uh, normal is, is is becoming a relevant uh, topic to, to discuss because what is the normal? I think we're constantly looking at a new normal in various ways or let me let me put that differently. The next normal, what will the next normal look like? And, and I'm sure we will see a much different market once the dust settles. Uh, give it two years from now, and and, and hopefully uh, we will be will be able to to discuss this again, uh, Richard. Uh, and and I'm sure we will see quite a different market, where a lot of carriers is now servicing their uh, customers with uh, with extensions. They are doing much more of the the end to end because not only the massive investments that they are uh, putting at uh, at the market right now. They of course need to uh, to to uh, to ratify the uh, the money spent in terms of uh, excellent profits and excellent service, of course, uh, because if we if we ask the the shippers, what should they rightly expect from carriers going forward rather than a huge bill and a massive invoice? Well, they could start with a better service. Uh, but if well, that service really uh, gets gets extended, I think we're 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 talking now because uh, because that may be also a way of building more resilient supply chains. And bringing more uh, predictability into those. And I guess that's what everybody needs. Reliability, of course, was pretty shoddy even before the pandemic. So a return to normal may not be what most of the line's customers actually want. But a simple unwinding of the current supply chain crunch is unlikely to be as simple as most people would like. Jan Hoffman, head of trade logistics at UNCTAD, thinks that the new normal may actually be something entirely different. Yeah, that's the million dollar question. Or these times, the order of magnitudes have changed. It's it's the billion dollar question now with the <laughs> with the profits made these days. Um, when the pandemic started, we all expected shipping to go down, and in reality, it did not go down as much. It 
went down at the beginning, but then there were stimulus packages and there were many other things. And, and you have described and analyzed this very well. We, we know by now that, yes, there was a, a shift of the supply curve to the left that went worse on the supply side. Thanks to COVID, things went slower. In the review, we document that a ship spends on average a container ship 12% longer in port during COVID than before COVID. But on the demand side, that was the supply price at that time. What do we do when we are stuck at home in lockdown? Uh, we buy more things. You know? So e-commerce went up by almost 25% in 2020. 2021 data indicates will be similar. So we will reach $5 trillion of e-commerce. And a lot of this comes on ships. You know? We started with our forecast building on past experience, the previous financial crisis, the Asian crisis, and we also initially thought it will go down. Now, finally, coming to your specific question, uh, will we come back to, to a normal? I, I think we can crystallize six reasons why the freight rate, and, and we are mostly talking about the container freight rate, the manufactured goods and other markets could, could be a separate discussion, but overall, uh, six reasons why um, I think the next decade, the freight rate will not go back to where it was in the previous decade. Um, each one of these one could discuss in more detail, but I do see that, that COVID impact takes longer. There's an issue of the longer term shipping cycles where the order book level is rather low. It takes time to build ships after they are ordered. There's an issue of competition, so shipping lines will be less inclined to bend down even further and have really brutal competition among themselves. There's the cost of decarbonization. Now we go into more longer term future that it will cost money. Ships will go slower, uh, at least to some extent at this beginning. That leads me to my fifth point. If ships go slower, they go 10% slower, you need 10% more ships, and these need to be built. And while there's uncertainty, a ship owner may rather wait. What is going to be the regulation at the IMO? What is going to be the technology we use? What is going to be the, the price of carbon? So while we would actually need more ships, in reality, we have fewer ships. So this my, my, my last and sixth point there is the now that we have for the first time really seen that volatility also in the freight rate, both sides of the market, the supply and the, the users, have a risk premium. You are, the, the shipper is willing to pay more just to guarantee space. And the provider sees volatility and, and like in any market, uh, you have a risk premium to ensure your return investment. No? So this in, in a rush going through six reasons why I think overall, it, it really could take a lot of time to get back to a situation we had three, four, four years ago. No? Fragility of the supply chain is now firmly on the agenda at a company level, certainly, but also at a government level. It's now a mainstream topic. With over 100 ships now regularly backed up outside the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach and the car industry running short of semiconductors, this is now headline news. The fact that these supply chain snarl-ups came during the coronavirus pandemic and after years of trade tensions, particularly between the US and China, has encouraged a belief in the vulnerability of globalisation to external shocks. We have, of course, in shipping, been guilty in the past of 
looking at such issues with a far too siloed view, in my view. But is this really a rupture in our global trading system or something altogether more temporary? And will the result of all this mean that there will be a shift in the way that people are thinking about supply chain resilience from here on? Yeah, no, I think you you partly gave the the answer. So it's absolutely true that uh, also when we launched our last uh, review of maritime transport, we have I think never been so much also in the mainstream press because it is a global problem. We have made I find very interesting novel simulations forecasts about the impact on inflation, which is now proven to be correct. Uh, our simulations there. And uh, the the main, yeah, what what can governments do? What is the rethinking? Um, are things a lot of this, yeah, we have preached for years, if not decades. You no, know, there, there's of course the whole area of trade efficiency, of trade facilitation, of digitalization, of modernizing ports, port reforms, which uh, now shows to be very important. We can get back to this. We have a lot of project experience in different countries where we have more demand now. Uh, there's also the issue of competition, which is being assessed, analyzed. And we have also tried to provide indicators, measure, and it, it's very clear that while the ship sizes go up more than the demand goes up, there's mathematically less space for number of companies. So the number of companies per market per route has gone down. But I would not blame the process of consolidation, the alliances on the level of high freight rates. I think that would be, it's not correct. It's not what is happening. The, that what is happening, and we have assessed this before, is really the global demand-supply shift. But there have been abuses with surcharges, with not transparency. There, there, everybody sees, wow, there are huge profits being made. So surely it is worthwhile for the public sector uh, to look at the yeah, monitor competition, strengthen national competition authorities, look into pricing, into agreements. No, so that's the sort of a second area of work for the governments, the competition. Mm. The first area is the whole issue of efficiency, modernization. And the third area is the very basic longer term demand supply, where especially in the United States, I dare say, where, where really the largest chunk of the capacity is held up currently in front of the ports, Los Angeles, Long Beach, more than 100 huge ships, that there has been too much, too long underinvestment on the supply side in infrastructure and um, simply having stimulus packages that increase the demand and not thinking, oh, it's it's difficult to forecast. We just discussed it, how difficult it is to forecast. But, but this really led to additional demand for goods, especially from China, that was not sufficiently considered. So you just have these stimulus packages then you are surprised that the goods don't arrive as, as proportionally to the money you printed. This is clearly a topic where we're going to have to delve into more detail and look for new ideas. So we are going to be regularly looking at the evolution of supply chain and the implications for shipping this year, both on this podcast, but of course on LloydsList.com. After an extended break over Christmas, courtesy of COVID, apologies for that, 
We are now back into our regular weekly schedule for this podcast. As always, we love hearing from our listeners, so get in touch via social media or direct on richard.mead at informer.com. For now, thank you for listening and goodbye.